0: Well, the good news this evening is that I feel much better. You've already heard the bad news in my voice, and yes, I have taken cough drops and et cetera. <clears throat> I'm hoping that, like an like an athlete, as I get warmed up, I'll be ready to go. Um, and so, there is, I think, not much more stubborn than an Italian preacher because uh, I really wanted to preach this text. I wanted to uh, bring it uh, to you and not have you pause in Galatians. Um, Some of my staff thought that I was perhaps being a bit too uh, energetic, a bit too optimistic about my voice, and were willing to jump in for me, for which I am grateful. But I hope that as I come to you, even as the Apostle Paul talked about, in weakness and in trembling, you will hear the power of God's word, even if you don't have the volume of Fred's voice. And so our text this evening is from the book of Galatians, the fourth chapter. If you would please turn there with me. (coughs) We will look this evening at verses 8 through 20. If you would now please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant The word of the Lord is completely sufficient, and the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Galatians chapter 4, beginning at verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. (coughs) Dear Lord, we pray this evening that you would open up your word to us. That you would use your servant, the Apostle Paul, to bring us the truth that you would have us to know and learn about the Lord Jesus Christ, about the gospel, about our own lives. Lord, use us in our weakness that we might be made strong in you. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. There is a habit that often we have when we reflect back on the past. We look back on the past and we imagine it As better than it was. We gloss over those times that were difficult raising our children when they were infants or toddlers. And we think of them in terms of being times of glee and joy and not messes and pain and sleeplessness. Or when we think about Our college days, we don't think about the fretting and the worrying and the studying for tests. We think about our friends and we think about everything that is good. That's what we remember. The problem is, however, if we take that kind of attitude, a nostalgia, a looking back with our spiritual life, there is great danger that can attach to it. Because you see, the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to look forward. He wants us to walk to the celestial city, to follow after him, and not to look back at our previous life. And that's the problem that the Galatians are having here that Paul is pointing out. They are being tempted to look back to the past, to their former ways, before they knew Christ, before they trusted in him alone. And Paul is giving them a heartfelt plea, a pastor's plea. Don't go back, he says. Come forward with me. And so this evening, I'd like us to look at three things briefly. First, Paul gives a gospel warning in verses 8 through 11. A gospel warning. And then second, Paul gives gospel encouragement in verses 12 through 16. And then in the conclusion of our text, verses 17 through 20, Paul speaks about gospel love. A gospel warning, a gospel encouragement, and gospel love. Well, let's start with this warning that Paul gives to the Galatians. You have to understand, when we get here to this point, Paul has tried about everything in the preacher's arsenal. He's given the Galatians a doctrinal lesson. He's talked to them about their own practical lives. He's talked to them about spirituality. He's talked to them pastorally. He's tried everything he can to bring them back to facing Jesus front and center. And so now he comes to them with pastoral concern, with a warning, And he starts out in verse 8 by reminding them, by saying to them, remember who you were. Look with me at verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. Now, you remember, Paul has just been talking to them about being free. That's what the first part of chapter 4 is about. How they are now sons. They are no longer slaves. They are free in Christ Jesus. And he reminds them that that is in contrast, sharp contrast, to where they were before. That formerly, and again in verse 9, once more, previously, you were enslaved to those who by nature are not gods. It's as if Paul is being very practical with them and with us, saying, why would anyone ever want to go back to that? Really, what was so good about slavery? Did you enjoy the beatings? Did you enjoy the no time off? Did you enjoy the bad food? Did you enjoy the insults? This is what might come to our mind with slavery. You know, we have a vivid example of this in the Old Testament. How the Israelites, when they left Egypt and they came upon difficulties. The first thing they did was complain to Moses and they looked back and they acted as if slavery in Egypt was a vacation at Club Med. Do you remember when we sat around the fire and ate to the full? In your dreams, that's not what you did. You suffered. You were less. You had no freedom. You had no hope. You had no life. And that's what Paul is telling to the Galatians now. He's saying, don't go back to the times of slavery. But there's even more than that. Do you notice he says, you were enslaved, but you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. What he's saying is, you weren't even enslaved to real things. You didn't have an understanding of reality. These are so-called gods that Paul will talk about in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. they are no gods at all. And yet, these unreal gods are what you were enslaved to. This is something that he wants the Galatians to remember, that before they came to Christ, their life was completely different. It was hopeless. It was bondage. Why would you want to go back to this? As a matter of fact, In verse 9, he reminds them that these elementary principles of the world were weak and worthless. Now, when Paul uses the phrase elementary principles here, he's not using them in the sense of being foundational. It's as if he might say to you, you know, you all who are studying calculus, do you really want to go back to 2 plus 2? Do you really think that's advancement? to go back to arithmetic, to give up everything that you've attained, all that you are? You want to go back to the basics where you don't know anything and aren't capable? That's what Paul is reminding us of here. That's who they were. Now he contrasts that in verse 9 by telling them to think about who you are now. Remember who you were and contrast it with who you are now. He says, but now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God. Now, how can you turn back to this weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? He says, think about who you are now. You are known by God. And I love the way that Paul puts this. It's, It's so helpful to us in the Christian life. He says, now that you've come to know God, oh, but wait a minute, hold on. No, what I really mean is now you're known by God. Reminding us that that's more important. It's actually more important for us to be known by God than to know God. Because the only way we can know God is to first be known by God. The Christian life begins with God. That's what Paul's been saying, hasn't he, earlier when he said that we were adopted as sons and that we could call God Abba, Father, Father. That's where it begins. God adopts us. God sets his love upon us. That's where the Christian life begins. And this should be of great encouragement to you. Because that shows our worth. That God knows us. Places worth upon us. If the enemy of your soul is ever attacking you and telling you that you're worthless, that you're not worth anything, that you have no meaning, you have no purpose in life, you look him straight in the eye and you say, I'm known by God. I have value because I am known by God. God knows me personally. This is a great encouragement to the Christian. Of course, then, being known by God means that we can (coughs) know God. Now, knowing God is more than just knowing about God. When the Bible uses this terminology of knowing something, it's more than just cognitive information. It's more than just having facts in your head. It means that we know God in a personal and relational way. It's beyond just assent to facts. No, it is deeper as faith. The classic illustration of this is found in the beginning of Genesis, where in the old authorized version, it says that Adam knew Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. The knowledge here is one of personal relationship, intimate relationship. And that is our knowledge of God. Being known by Him, we then know Him in a personal way. And then in verse 10, Paul gives a sharp edge to his warning. He literally says after a fashion, Look out! You see this here? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Now, What Paul is not saying here, which we may come to at initial blush, is that we should never have any commemorative days. I am not advising you to take common cause with the Jehovah's Witnesses and pour cold water over every birthday. Or to never celebrate an anniversary. Or to never give gifts on Christmas. That's that's not what Paul is saying here. What Paul is saying is is that when you have been converted, when you know God, when you have been changed by God, there is a complete break with the culture that occurs. You are no longer a part of the world. And even when that culture is idolatrous religion, you have broken with it. And specifically here, Paul is thinking of the Judaizers in their midst that are telling the Galatians that the only way they can be saved is to follow all of the rigors of the ceremonial law, including all of the feasts, all of the days, all of the celebrations, not to celebrate what God has done, but as a way of meriting favor before God. The truth is, you cannot have Christ plus anything. You have to merely have Christ. One commentator puts it this way He says, Whatever leads away from sole reliance on Christ, whether based on good intentions or depraved desires, is sub Christian and therefore to be condemned. We are to look to Jesus Christ alone and not to anything else our standing before God. You see, practicing outward forms without the inward reality is practical paganism. We're doing something because we think God will see it and smile upon us because what we have done. And if you think about it, that is nothing different than what the priests of Baal did on Mount Carmel. They thought that Baal would hear them and bless them because of what they did and how they were acting. And we can fall into that trap when we care more about the outward trappings and forms of religion than we do the reality of a relationship with Christ. You see, there is a major difference between participating in various forms and events and seeking justification through them. So, for example, I hope that you will attend worship on the Lord's Days of Easter and Christmas. And I hope you will do that because you attend worship on each Lord's Day between Easter and Christmas. Not because you think it's special and God will smile on you if you are there. You don't go to church at any given point in time in order to earn points with God. I had a friend when I was younger and was an attorney, and he had a relative that used to go to a church service. And the church service was in Polish. And the interesting thing about that was my friend's family was Irish. And I said, why does your your uncle go to this Polish language service? He said, well, he goes to the Polish language service because it's only 16 minutes long and it counts. You see, he was not concerned about hearing God's word, about what he would gain from it. He saw it as a box to check, as something to do that would somehow earn favor with God. Paul warns us, this is not the way to live. Paul is excluding both moralism and mysticism here. Because you see, no matter what we do, we cannot make ourselves right with God. The next thing that Paul gives us is a gospel encouragement. We see this in verse 12. He says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Now, I want you to notice this. What's the first word of verse 12? It's brothers. Paul has been very sharp with the Galatians. He said to them, what are you doing going back to slavery? And yet, he starts here with a term of great endearment. Brothers. It's as if he wants them to understand that the gospel has not separated him from them. That it's actually drawn him closer To them, that they are his brothers. And he says to them, Become as I am. Now, this is an interesting grammatical construction because this is the first true imperative in this book. What do I mean by that? I mean, it's the first true command as a command that Paul gives to the Galatians. There's lots of other sharp words. There's lots of other calls to arms as you would. But this is the first command. And he says to them, become as I am. Now, why would Paul say that? Does he want them to dress like him, speak like him, act like him? No. Paul has already told them his life story. And his life story was of one who was bound to the law. You remember, Paul says, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, as touching the law, blameless. I did everything that could have been done. If anyone could have found justification through works, it was me, Paul says. But then remember, Paul also confesses that he was a miserable failure because of it. Jesus met him on that road to Damascus, and he was changed forever And so Paul is telling the Galatians here to put the gospel first. And there's an interesting follow-on to this statement. He says, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Now, you have to think about what that would look like in real life. Paul showed up in Galatia, which was a pagan city, a pagan area, and he met with people who were Gentiles, who were pagans. They weren't Jews. And he says, I came and I dwelt among you. We, we almost might put color into it by saying, I, Paul, became a stinking, filthy Galatian to bring the gospel to you. So why are you now trying to out Judaize me? I became as you are so that the gospel might come to you. And so he's linking here this theological statement with a pastoral concern for them. And this should inform us. As we speak with others, do we attempt to win them over? Do we attempt to bring them the gospel? No matter who they are, what they have done, what their background is. Do we attempt to become like them, to speak their language, if you will, so that they might hear the gospel? Notice Paul's emphasis here. He says, you did me no wrong. And he says, I entreat you, I beg you, I urge you to listen to me and to the gospel. This is an encouragement to the Galatians. In verses 14 and 15, he reminds them Of when he came to them. He says, And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. You see, the initial reception that Paul had at Galatia was that God had brought him through difficult circumstances. He says, I came to you because of a bodily ailment. Now, we don't know what this bodily ailment is. Some commentators think it was epilepsy. Some think that perhaps Paul picked up malaria through his travels. And if you've ever seen someone that has malaria, you know how debilitating that is. Or others think it had to do with difficulties with Paul's vision. Because of what he says later about that they would pluck their eyes out if they could to give it to them. Now, I have a great sympathy for that, even if it's just his vision. I'm in the midst of trying to get a new prescription for my sight, and I walk around all the time annoying my family, saying, I can't see anything. I can't read. I can't do this. And I've got glasses everywhere trying to do this. This is a difficulty and a challenge that Paul faces, and he comes to Galatia in this. It was a trial for the Galatians, because in these days, a disease could often be considered demonic. And so they would not have been exactly eager to see Paul. But in contrast to the Judaizers, Paul says, you didn't scorn me. You received me. And God used that as an opportunity for the gospel. Now, if there's one thing about the Apostle Paul, it's that he uses every opportunity as an opportunity for the gospel. Are you shipwrecked? Preach the gospel. Are you whipped and thrown in jail? Preach the gospel. Do you have malaria? Preach the gospel. It's as if Paul's answer to everything is, what are you going to do if? Well, I'll preach the gospel. That's what I'll do. Over and over and over again. For Paul, everything is an opportunity to preach the gospel. And he reminds the Galatians of this. And he then reminds them of the blessing they received from that gospel. Look at verse 15. What, is, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. What Paul is saying is that they received the word of God with faith. And the love that overflowed from them was such that they would have been willing to give anything to Paul in response. How often do we need reminders of God's goodness? You know, so far and so often, especially in a place like America where we are so blessed, we only focus on things that we can complain about. And and don't get me wrong, there are plenty of things to complain about. But we don't focus on the blessings that God has given to us. The family and friends and loved ones He's given to us. His word that He's given to us in abundance. The church family that He's brought around us. The freedom that we have to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. The material blessings that He showered upon us. So we need to be reminded of that. Encouraged about what God is doing in our lives. Well, after Paul does some reminding, he then does some challenging in verse 16. He says, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? You see, what Paul's saying is the very same things that I said to you before and you loved and caused love for you for me, I'm telling you now. I haven't changed my message. It's what I said before. Why now is this viewed as hostility? Why now does this cause a rift? What has changed, Paul is saying. Now, I have to tell you something. One of the jobs of a pastor is to say unpopular things. I've been here now at Christ Church for 16 years and I am certain that I have said things from this pulpit that have offended you. Perhaps deserved. But perhaps undeserved. Perhaps it's just the word of God that it strikes at the core of who we are. The word of God is sharp and powerful. It pricks us. And so... What Paul is saying here is that the gospel can be a challenge, but it's never against us. The gospel can challenge us to change our lives, to change our attitudes, to change our actions, but that is not hostility. That is a way of shaping and forming us into the image of Jesus Christ. The Puritan John Brown put it this way Happy is the Christian society when the minister loves his people and the people love their minister for truth's sake. Well, we've seen the pastor's gospel warning and his gospel encouragement. Now we conclude with gospel love. Look with me at verse 17. He says, they, talking about the Judaizers, make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. He he gives us the bad example of the Judaizers. The Judaizers have come to the Galatians and they have used flattery. They have told the Galatians how wonderful they are. And this is all in an attempt merely to puff themselves up. You see, have you ever had that occasion where someone comes up and they pay you a compliment and you know the reason they're paying you a compliment is because they want you to respond in kind and perhaps even one-up them? That's what's going on here. They're they're trying to tell the Galatians how great they are, but really the context is you're so great because we're great and we've made you great. That's what you ought to think about. And they tried to shut the Galatians off from Paul. But that's not the most damaging thing. By shutting the Galatians off from Paul, Paul was making clear that they're shutting the Galatians off from Jesus Christ. They're out for themselves. They want to make much of themselves. They're all about power and fame. They wanted fawning disciples. They didn't want people who are growing in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting, Calvin puts it this way. He says, let ministers labor to form Christ, not themselves, in others. You know, one of the most serious issues we have in our day and age are ministries that are founded upon and pushed forward as the ministry of a person. Because it becomes about them. And we've seen, for example, examples of when that person falls, that the ministry just completely collapses. Or we see the ministry seek to defend itself and to not share the gospel, but to be worried about defending the person whose name is on the ministry. The Apostle Paul would never have had Pauline Ministries Incorporated. No. He was all about Jesus Christ. And we here at Christ Church should be all about Jesus Christ. It's not my ministry. It's not your ministry. It's God's ministry among us here at Christ Church. And this love expresses itself in not only not being selfish, but in actually being actively selfless. This is... What Paul says in verses 18 through 20, he says, It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. You see, Paul is not concerned about having his own disciples. He's concerned about the Galatians' growth in Christ. Do you notice one thing that's absent throughout this whole letter? Paul does not name the Judaizers at all. As a matter of fact, you will see, he doesn't even call them the Judaizers much. I have to do that to remind you of who they are, who the opponents are. Paul downplays them as much as possible. Often in the Greek, they don't even have a noun to put with them. They're simply an ending on a verb that lets us know that it's they. Plural. People. Because it's about the message, not the messenger. The the Judaizers were all about the messenger, all about themselves and their own glory, but Paul is rather about the glory of Jesus Christ. He wants to form Christ in them. Paul's desire is for the Galatians to know and be more and more like Christ. He loves this congregation. He calls them his little children. This is a wonderful word. It doesn't simply mean a child. It's almost a pet name. You know, some of us have pet names for little children. Peanut, Darling. That's what Paul's doing here. He's showing great affection. And that reminds us that if we are to follow Paul and to minister the gospel to others, we need to care about people and love people. We can't be armchair theologians. We have to be people of the word of God who seek to bring the word of God to others that they might grow in grace and know the blessing of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's what Paul is saying here this evening. It's a pastoral plea. And I could have gotten up here and given you my own pastoral plea, but it would pale in comparison to what Paul says. I want you to go from this place encouraged, challenged, ready to face the world knowing that you are safe and secure in Jesus Christ, that all that matters is that you have put your faith and trust in him. That is the sum of the gospel. Let's pray.